Welcome back for another exciting episode of Access and Opportunity. This season, we're speaking with entrepreneurs who have successfully scaled and sold their companies with a particular focus on the exit. And in this episode, I'm so excited to talk to Doug Song, the co-founder of Duo Security. While working for several other companies throughout his career, Doug felt that the existing computer security firms were focusing on profits over customers. He set out to fix that with Duo Security. In seven years, the Michigan-based company grew to over 700 employees by staying true to their mission of building easy, effective, trustworthy, and enduring products before being acquired by Cisco for a reported $2.35 billion. In this episode, we talk with Doug about how he ended up working in tech security, the importance of finding leaders to learn from, and why he eventually sold his company. Along the way, we'll hear about his passion for skateboarding, discover the one question he asks every new hire, and discuss how entrepreneurs can operate from a position of power when taking on investors. Come on and join me for the ride. Doug, thank you very much for being here with us. I so appreciate you having this conversation on Access and Opportunity. Oh, thank you for coming to Detroit. Okay. You've made the comment that when you are taking institutional money, like VC money, investors invest in exits, not companies. So can you talk a little bit about that? When did you learn that? Was that the first deal or was that duo? It was earlier. Um, when you're an early entrepreneur, particularly if you haven't raised money before and you haven't been through kind of the, the whole game and cycle, capital is oxygen to your business. And mm-hmm. so, you know, most of the time when you're raising, it's uh, too little, too late. <laughs> it's, uh, you're not being as strategic as you need to be about it. Mm-hmm. Creating a market and a dynamic for your deal as much as, you know, there's a market for capital out there. That's right. But many, many founders don't really think of it that way. They, you know, you sort of ends up being more a desperate process. That's exactly right. And you don't end up creating the optionality that you need to really maximize the value is what I yes. say. Because okay. the, the valuation, you know, I, I actually think sometimes um, founders over-optimize on valuation versus actual value to the business. Your investors, if they're actually good, should provide some sort of strategic value, right, beyond mm-hmm. just the money. Um, every VC will tell you, oh, we're going to connect you all these people. And, I mean, VCs are introduction machines, right? That's what they do. They're really good at that. But um, there's kind of two other things, in my opinion. And I think of this just like I think about how, as leaders or as managers, we create value in our in our teams. And for me, this goes back to, like, my, my grade school days, right? And think about, like, well, what do the best teachers do? And there are two things. For me, I've always stood out about, you know, the teachers that have – help guide me, one is they held me to high standards, mm-hmm. and the second is they cared about me. And that's it. Okay. And actually, when it comes to investors, it's not that different, right? Because as a CEO or a founder, you're not going to get a lot of feedback from your team, right? That just, the role power, and that's one thing founders forget, that when you are the boss, right, and your role, your role power, you walk into a room, right, in a meeting, it, the dynamic changes. That's fair. And so getting good feedback about what does it take to be the right leader for this organization at this point in time? Even if you've started it, it only can come from outside. It, mm-hmm. It's really hard to kind of get that from the inside. And so anyway, so finding investors who fundamentally you know, get that is, is really important. But it is the case that the VC business model is that they are investing in exits. 
And I don't right. think of it as any different than any other person that I hire on our team. Because yes. an investor, whether they're a board member or not, they're part of the team. And when we, when we build our teams, you know, we ask this question, what makes you unique? Yes. And how someone answers that told us everything we needed to know about what they would actually contribute right, to our capability as a team. Because we can always add more people, but they're just like us. We're just increasing capacity, yes. not capability. Yes. But what we're reeling for is like, well, what do you do that's going to be so different than what we've already got? Because yes. if, if we're not learning anything new, increasing our, cap- our cap- capability from your hire, you know, there are plenty of other people we could find that have something different. Yeah. And that's really, at the end of the day, what I think you optimize for when you're building your team at the top, too. Like, your investors also should represent very different thinking. Every executive, every investor, every employee. And again, my, my investors were very different. Right? Yeah. <laughs> very, very different. Um, one of them was uh, Matt Kohler from Benchmark. And his business has all been consumer businesses. Yes. Facebook, LinkedIn, and so forth. And so when he first approached me, I ignored his emails and his advances for nine months. Wow. And every CEO in the Valley, well not, well not all of them, but the ones I knew, they're all like, Doug, you got to answer that guy's call. Don't you know who Benchmark is? I was like, yes, I know who Benchmark is. So what? All right, I'm building a business. I don't need the money. We're doing fine, right? Yes. Like, But at one point, you know, guy's like, I'm going to show up in Michigan this date. And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> fine. If, if you're going to come to Michigan, I'm going to be a gracious host. Right? Yes. And I appreciate it. I'm going to have you. Yes. And so, um, so that's what we did. That first conversation opened the doors to all these new ideas. He identified something that we didn't recognize about ourselves, that we were consumerizing enterprise yes. technology, enterprise yeah, IT. Right. And so he was bringing all this kind of, I don't know, it was all this fire. And I, I was just like, oh, my God, you get me. <laughs> but yeah. I didn't even realize, you know, what, what, what we were doing in that, in that way. And in so many other ways, you know, like when you think about recruiting, you know, think about that recruiting person as a product manager, because you have an employee value proposition as much as you have a product value proposition to your customers. And an employee value proposition, you want to manage as if it was a product. Mm-hmm. So he was very operationally minded in a very in a strategic and a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I think every good executive, every good investor, and, and every good employee on your team will hopefully bring something like that to you. Yes. Well, there's a couple of things that you said that I want to unpack for a second as a playbook point before we move on. The first one you just said, it's a process of desperation because usually they wait to the last possible minute to go to the next series because the process, if you are an entrepreneur of color Mm -hmm. or if you're a woman, is so painful that you know you need the money to grow, but oh, you are almost hating life to go back out there again. Um, and, And you're saying, no, 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 you have something valuable. You know it's valuable. Create an auction. The hardest lesson for me in business was to ever learn to ask for help. Yes. Because, you know, it's, it's tough. Figuring out who you should ask, mm-hmm. right, is, is half the problem. That's exactly right. But I think, you know, identifying people that are maybe a step ahead of you, but you can find your way to those people and they see that connection themselves, you'd be surprised. I mean, how many folks are going to give first and be willing to go out of the way to help you mm-hmm. in that first step. Yeah. But being able to do that well, integrate those ideas into what, how you operate and what you do, and then make your way to as many different sources of help, whether it's financial or operational, and build that kind of market. Mm-hmm. Right? One of my strongest pieces of advice to entrepreneurs in being successful over the long term Right in their business is to do that is to give first even when you got nothing to give. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a serious. Or when you think you have nothing to give, right? But you always have something. Yeah, but like yeah. for instance, we have an entrepreneurial meetup in Ann Arbor called the Ann Arbor a New Tech Meetup. But we tell people that's not a good event if you come and you've 
met a bunch of people, like what most networking events are. Mm-hmm. It's a good event for you if you've come and you've introduced a bunch of people. Because being that super connector, right, being that person who was able to help connect, you know, need and opportunity uh, and talent, that makes you much more valuable in a community. Yes. And at the end of the day, in my opinion, if you're doing it right, you are working to cultivate the community in which you operate, and that that leads to a very healthy inbound motion into your yeah. your your business. People send people to us. Yes. It is super important. I think um, I, I just fundamentally believe my, my dad was just going to be, be studied to be a Buddhist monk and all that stuff. He used to talk about you know karma and um, if you do right by others and you treat them well, go out of your way to help other people be successful. Uh, the universe won't let you start. I, I I could not agree more. It absolutely comes back. So can you talk to our listeners about your journey? How did you get here, finding your love for technology? And let's go from there. All right. So love for technology came from my father. So, uh, you know, I grew up in uh, on the East Coast, born and raised in the D.C. area, and then uh, grew up uh, progressively moving closer toward Baltimore. Okay. My father had a liquor store there. And... Um, but he was a big gadget freak, you know, back in those days. I think we had the first uh, CD player. Mm-hmm. He had a Betamax, uh, you know, oh, yeah. video camera back in the day. We had uh, bread makers. We had food dehydrators. I mean, anything. You could buy it on, on off a of TV. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. But he just, he just loved gadgets. But he also had computers. And computers were how he ran his liquor store. And there's a software suite called RetailMate. And he was one of the first to actually apply it yeah, for liquor stores. So anyway, so that's, that's, that's how I got into it because I was doing all the data entry when I was eight, okay. kind of doing invoices and all this stuff for him. And immigrant family, I'm Korean, Korean-American. And a lot of immigrant families, you know, you just uh, – there's a lot of child labor involved oh, sometimes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was one of those, no question. And, and I couldn't even claim to be an immigrant, but I was definitely a child laborer. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's, that's how I got into it. And I just figured out how much I, I enjoyed that once I learned I could make games on a computer. So that, that was my early introduction to technology. Well, let's actually go through your different roles because yeah. you you were at a number of great companies before you actually did the company that you sold to Cisco. So When I was in college, I worked in food service. I was a line cook yes. at a vegetarian restaurant. Uh, I met my wife actually in a Chinese bakery where I was cooking you know, meals and making buns and cakes in the back. Oh my goodness. Um, That's a great story. But I was doing that because, uh, well, it's a long story. I, w- I was doing a startup at the time, too, uh, in computer security because all throughout college, uh, I was working in security, uh, having gotten into all that due to some trouble I had as a freshman. So okay. how much time you got, Carla? Yeah, okay. we got, <laughs> I have time, my friend, because I, your story, I think, is so valuable for every entrepreneur that's out there. So uh, you tell me what, what you want to talk about. Well, I, I'll try to make it short. Anyway, I got to college. But then uh, my dad died uh, my freshman year. Oh, wow. uh, my dad was carjacked, stabbed 11 uh, times, all stuff. It wasn't yeah. great. You know, I was getting into some, some trouble when I was a freshman at school, and that parlayed itself into a job working for the university doing computer security. Yes. And so I'll leave it at that because, you know, okay. there's a lot more. But, but that early experience was what led me to realizing that, turns out, computers you can make a living from. I was just very lucky that that went that way and not some other way for me in college. But then thereafter, I was able to parlay that into a job working at a small computer security consulting firm where I learned what it meant to build a business from the ground up. Okay. It was only four or five people consulting to New York banks and Vegas casinos, mm-hmm. helping them uh, protect themselves online at a time in which ah. there wasn't a lot of that. And it was early, early days around security. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
That was in 97, 98. Okay. And so it was, it was fun, but it was also difficult to scale. Hard to scale a business where it's your time mm-hmm. is what you're actually selling. And so when I was there, we, we made the decision to go build products instead. And it turns out that's a lot more scalable. Yes. Uh, if you build a, a piece of software, you can sell that, that piece of software over and over and over again. So that was my, my, my journey into products and you know, figuring out how to build um, a kind of business that could be scalable in a way that wasn't completely tied to your own, your own time and effort. Okay, so let me stop you right there because I think this is an important playbook point, especially for younger entrepreneurs. One of the pieces of advice that I give them all the time is if you think you want to start your own business, go and work for someone who is in a similar business. So number one, you understand how they built that business, how they acquire customers, what the customer acquisition cost really looks like, uh, and learn all of that before you decide to go off and start your own thing. And oh, by the way, you can make some money so that when you start your business, you may not be flush with cash, but at least you have something to get it going. Absolutely. I think there's definitely a time to earn. There's also time to learn. Yes. Right. And, oh. Much, much better learn on someone else's dime. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that, and that's my point. Yeah, and I think technology is one of those rare opportunities where uh, I think you had Paul Judge on recently. And I think Paul talks about like, technology being the great equalizer. Yes. right? Because before, to really make money in this, in this, at least in this country, and maybe not around the world, you had to have land or you know, capital. or Technology has kind of opened up the opportunity for everybody to create wealth in a way mm-hmm. that is, uh, you know, very accessible, yes. much more accessible in a lot of ways yes. Than, yes. Uh, than anything, any other industry that came before it. Technology, I believe, is the one thing that actually Im- increases human productivity. Mm-hmm. That's where there is opportunity to create uh, quite a lot of wealth. Yes. Um, and so, anyway. so how did you decide to take the leap from employee to entrepreneur? You know, that was a funny one. Um, there's a rubric that uh, the founder of Alibaba, Jack mm-hmm. Ma, has. Uh-huh around what an entrepreneurial career can look like. But Jack, Jack Ma talks about the fact that uh, when you're a student, you should learn to learn, become really good at that, and you figure out how you integrate different ideas, perspectives, opinions into your worldview. But in your 20s, in your 20s, he says, don't go work for a great company, go work for a great leader. Because what you're trying to learn is trying to understand what it means to follow your inspiration, to have that kind of drive, mm-hmm. and to work for somebody who is bringing people together, yes. right? unifying them behind a mission, a shared goal, and building a team. Mm-hmm. But without that sort of experience, it's hard to learn how to do that on your own, yes. unless you've seen it. Yes. But going on skateboarding, you know, when, you, when you're a skateboarder, you, know, you don't watch skateboarding videos to see how you do a trick. You watch skateboarding videos to get stoked, to get inspired, to realize that it can be done. Yes. And I think a lot of that is very congruent with what an entrepreneurial kind of career journey might look like early. We're going to work for somebody where you see them doing it. You see yeah. what it takes, you know, how much they put into it, how much they get out of it. It's very important. In your 30s, he says, figure out what you're good at. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, you know, that in your 20s, you know, you're, 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 you're basically, you know, learning what the working world looks like, learning what entrepreneurial you know, uh, kind of journey can be, that was my journey, right? Mm-hmm. Early in that first, you know, company doing that, I was sleeping on a futon in the office. I was working late nights. I was the developer. I was the support staff. I was a sales engineer, right? Did everything. In early business, you learn to wear all hats. What you learn quickly is that if you want to scale just as fast, you got to figure out how to wear no hats yeah. <laughs> and ah. bring, bring someone else in who can do all those different things. Yes, but you have to have seen that. You have to seen what those functions are to understand what they mean. So, so again, going back to that decision, employee to entrepreneur, when did that hit? 
I was a reluctant entrepreneur. A reluctant entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. Um, to be frank, you know, we that the first experience building that 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 first company called Anzen, mm-hmm. which is a consulting company that became a product company, where my wife joined and tripled sales in a year. Wow, which is great, but also painful. Um, <laughs> uh, led to Arbor Networks, which was a University of Michigan tech transfer spinoff, and so that was a research group that I was not part of, who had a technology that they they were working to commercialize, but I was the only person who had actually had a had a real job. And so to be frank, you know, the Arbor experience was something I had interest in, but I had no idea what I was getting into. It was all of our first venture back company. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff for a company called Arbor Networks, named after Ann Arbor, Michigan. We headquartered the company in Boston <laughs> due to our first investors, right? Ah. Who were out of there. You know, that was a tough lesson to learn, right? Okay. You know, um, seeding too much uh, control or at least influence, right, to your investors in terms of how you set up. Was that really the first time that any of you at Arbor Networks had really dealt with a real-world VC? Yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as much academics and as me coming out of a consulting business. Give me the three questions that you would say to any entrepreneur that they ought to ask a VC to figure out whether or not that's going to be a good fit for them, because it is about the fit. Every founder is going to have a different set of considerations for themselves and their business and the industry for what it means to really be a meaningful partner. But I think the the one thing in life, the only truth in life, whether it's in interviews of employees or of executives or investors, is blind references. Mm. Blind references. You know, go and talk to a whole bunch of other CEOs that that those investors have invested in and find out what their experiences have been. Ah. And there is very much a founder and CEO back channel. Yes. And founders uh, and CEOs that have been successful, we all have, we've, we've, we've all lived this, we've all bear the scars, and we are all willing. I mean, I, maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but I've never met a founder or a CEO who's not taken a call okay. about their experience with a specific investor when I've come calling and say, hey, we're talking to these folks, and uh, uh, I'd love to understand you know, what they were like working with you. It is there is truly an entrepreneurial community that you have to leverage? Um, you know, it takes a village, and okay. so that and we every I, will, I think you will find that most founders are going to be very, very amenable to providing that kind of help. So, quick question on Duo: Why did you ultimately decide to sell? You were very successful at the time. Yeah. Where did Cisco come from? Was it a previous relationship? Did they come to you? Did you create another auction process again? No, no, that was different. So, you know, with Duo, we always had this much grander scheme because attackers were so successful in a different way. They're going after people, not systems or applications or networks. We all have our inboxes full of spam and even now malware, right, that's targeting us. And that's the way that attackers get into organizations these days. They go after the people because they're soft and squishy, unlike the firewall. Yes, yes. Whatever else. And so we realized at the intersection of people and technology, we needed to take a different approach to how we would marry security and usability with a design program that would make security something that every organization could be successful with by making it easy. So that was really the fundamental thesis of the business. You know, it was in direct opposition to the way the whole industry had been built up and where it was going and what it was doing. And truth be told, when I started the company with my co-founder, we had no idea what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. We just said, we're going to build the world's best security company, and not just the best security company, we're going to transform this industry. Yeah. That we are sick and tired of, of this nonsense. And it's an industry that is profiting off of all this suffering. We need to do better. And so we came back with, uh, we're going to solve this, and by torching this, just burn it down, <laughs> burn down this industry. 
But, you know, the way we did it was, it's funny, about being very positive. Yeah. Because so much of this industry was selling on fear. You know, it's all like, even the branding, all this stuff was all yep. scary. Right. And we said, no, we're not going to do anything. We're going to green light a path through all the chaos. We're going to take the care to explain and simplify and demystify the probably the most difficult topic in technology to understand, right? Like how, how are our attackers getting into all this stuff? Yeah. And make it something that we would build on trust, um, no matter how big or small. And actually, that was one element of our, our success too. We, uh, we give away our product mm-hmm. at the low end of the market because it's the right thing to do. Right? So you know, we, we have worked really, really hard to democratize security and kind of build this in this way. And so what we're really doing, we were trying to build a movement. Right. And so what it came to was we were working to build a forever company and something that would be a transformative business in this industry. It just turned out that along the way, Cisco approached us. And again, we, we rebuffed their advances, um, I think, three times. Like, no, no interest. Um, sort of felt like I knew what that was about. But the company itself was in a massive transformation. Yeah. Cisco was under, has been undergoing a journey going to the cloud mm-hmm. with a complete, not just operational and business model transformation, but a cultural transformation. Mm-hmm. And that caught my attention. When I saw what they were doing, and we saw that it was an opportunity to have a platform to drive much larger systemic change, yes. not just in our industry, but in tech. Yes. Because there are not that many major titans of this of, of, of technology. You got Apple, you got Microsoft, you got Google, you got Amazon, certainly Cisco, the yes. company that built the internet is mm-hmm. one of them. And when I saw that and when I saw Chuck's people deal and when mm-hmm. he told me about what they were doing in terms of corporate social responsibility, benefiting a billion people in the world outside of their business, I was like, this is very interesting because that was a large part of how we ever thought about our business. And every decision anyone makes at Duo, basically the criteria is what's right for the customer, mm-hmm. what's right for the company, what's right for our community. And so there was a very clear alignment of yes. Cisco's mission, vision, and values to ours, and an opportunity for us, I mean, in some way, to leverage right, the fact that one of the world's greatest technology platforms was changing and transforming itself in a way that we could catalyze mm-hmm. And help accelerate. Yes. And help. And it was congruent with where we were taking our business. And we could get there all faster. Yeah. That was very exciting. It was unlike anything else that you had done. Mm. But it would still give you an opportunity to, frankly, advance what you were doing with Duo anyway. Yeah. And and, and learn. There's a point in time for everyone in their careers that they run out of experience. And for Mm -hmm. me, that's been every day of my life. Mm -hmm. Doing something that I haven't done before. And, And frankly, you know, had we gone and IPO'd and been a public company, there would have been a lot to learn, a lot to do, but it's still been mostly duo in the duo way. Yes. In this, you know, transformation with, with Cisco, it is much more of a hybridization. Yes. Where we are creating something new. It's not, the answers aren't coming from just duo, they're not coming from just Cisco. It's a third way that we're building together. And it is very exciting yes. to be part of that kind of transformation at this kind of scale. Yeah. Any transition or thing that you might comment on going from 700 companies to 70,000? Yeah, you know, one of the 700 employees, excuse me, to 70,000. Yeah, one of the things I was most excited about and was very, very important to me up front, and I talked about it with all the executives as we came in, was basically our approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. That I had hired an amazing DNI leader Mm -hmm. uh, named Trey Boynton, who I had taken from the University of Michigan, where she did this for Mm 45,000 students, right? Much bigger scale, all the residence halls and all this stuff. And we brought her into tech, uh, to a 750-person company to do this, much smaller scale. But she was excited. She was excited about this opportunity to do this on a bigger stage with us. Turns out she's now doing this for Cisco on a global basis. Yes. Right? So she is actually operationalizing some of the same programs and ideas. 
there was this all-hands global event with all 75,000 employees. We're talking about criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. We're talking about racial justice. We're talking about, and this is awesome. Yes. <laughs> this is so great. You know, see Cisco doing this stuff? Yes. Because I think, you know, tech, in many ways, this whole tech lash, the ways in which, I'm not going to name names either, but a bunch of other tech companies have operated, needs to be called out, yes. right? They need to change. And, you know, I am so proud to see us having this kind of contribution to Cisco in ways that, you know, my team, right? They see this stuff like, yeah, this is a duo. Yes. But this is now Cisco. Yes. And oh, this, that's is very, awesome. this is very exciting. That, boy, talk about amplifying your life and your impact. Is there anything that you would say to an entrepreneur who's thinking about selling their company? You know, what are the things they should ask themselves? How do they know it's the right time? And the reason why this question mm. is so critical as a playbook point, mm-hmm. Doug, is that it's my thesis that entrepreneurs of color on the margin sell out a little too early. And I believe that it is because the process of raising the capital and is just so hard that somebody makes you an eight-figure offer or a nine-figure offer, you just say, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> why you need a community because you get tired. Yeah. You know, you get tired. And it's, you know, like I tell people, you know, those first three years, they're critical, right? Most businesses fail within the first three years. And so every day... <laughs> And maybe I'm overstating it, but it feels like every day of your life in those first few years is going to be the best of your life or the worst of your life. (laughs) And it is that kind of dichotomy. And if you, you know, weren't bipolar before, maybe you will become that. (laughs) It's it's, it's really hard and you need to make sure that you take care to have that support. And that's why it's so important to find your way to these kind of communities and all that. But the second, I think, is I actually do think that for entrepreneurs who are in the long game, where you want to be an entrepreneur, right? And you know that you want to create not just new products or business, but you want to create companies, you should have an early exit. If the goal is to be an entrepreneur, as opposed to be a large company CEO. So I'm going to stop you there. Playbook point. You know, really early on, sort of figure out what is, going back to your point of what is your motivation? Right. Do I want to be an entrepreneur, which means I'm going to do it once, twice, three times, four times, or... Do I want to be a large company CEO? Yeah. And, you know, you don't know until you try, but I do think that part of that is you got to have the ability to be able to take those chances to try because I'll tell you what, you know, having a little bit of money in your pocket takes the edge off in a a big way. And, you know, before you go and try to go for broke, swing for the fences, I just think it's good to go through that process once early. And each time I think you get better at it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you only get good what you practice. You don't get that many chances to sell companies and kind of do all these kind of things. But if you if you know that you're going to be an entrepreneur for the long haul, you know, getting some of that kind of experience or being part, at least part of that. You, maybe it's not your first company you sell, but you're part of an early startup that does. You see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. You understand what are all the, the 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 difficulties of making of not considering something at the right time or too late or what have you. But yeah, learning on someone else's dime quickly and early is is, is pretty important. So there's actually, there's actually a book mm-hmm. I would recommend. It's called Early Exits. Okay. It's by Basil Peters. He's the founder of the Vancouver Angels. And um, he makes the point that the average venture-backed software exit is only $30 million. Yes. So think about what people are raising these po- their rounds at post-money. Yes. It means that most of these venture exits are not creating real outcomes for founders and for employees. Mm-hmm. Right, there's only a few winners in venture. Right, you yes. know, one one company out of like ten might actually return an entire fund, and the other nine will just die. And and so it is scaled that way. But 
as an entrepreneur, you got one company. Yes, <laughs> so, that's right. And so um, the point that he makes in that book is that if you if you work backwards from the goal, just like there's a market for yeah. your products, there's a market for small technology companies, right, in the field of technology, and you need to map out your buyers, you need to map out that industry, and you need to create optionality at every stage of your journey. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't. Maybe you won't sell, and we didn't, right? We yes. had plenty of people come at us early. And then some funny ways, right, to try to buy us in year two, year three, and on and so on. We never really heard them out, but it was really interesting to understand what that market looked like. Yeah, because it came from places we did not expect. Yes, and so if you were able to work back from your goal, understand what that looks like, you can create that kind of market opportunity to be able to put some money in your pocket, to be able to go swing for the, t- the fences on a second go round. Because you will make mistakes, right? When people yes. ask, "How do you get to be successful in business?" So hell if I know, you know, you make a, you basically you, you make the right decisions, right? And I said, well, how do you make the right decisions? Well, I said, well, you basically make a bunch of wrong ones. Right, right. And you figure out, you know, you, you win or you learn. Yes. Right? And it's just like skateboarding. Like, I don't know how to do that trick, but you know what? I just keep trying until I figure right. it out. I'll fall 80 times, 80% of the time, but that's okay. I'll right. get there. All and, right. And, and figuring how you do that as a team is the most important thing. Um but yeah, that's 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 the way I think about that. I like that. that. Create optionality at every step of the way, but figure out what the goal is and work back from that so that you know the points where you want to create the optionality. That that's valuable. At the end, we we do this um, quick round where we try to uh, again let our listeners figure out who you are uh, outside of. The, the guy that sold his business for $2.35 billion to, to Cisco, and it's an amazing entrepreneur. So are you ready? Sure. Okay. Favorite book or magazine? Uh, there is this Wu-Tang manual. Um, I don't, I'm a Wu-Tang Clan fan, you know, child of the 90s. It talks about right how they created the first rap dynasty. Yeah. Right? Most before that was just like duos or trios maybe. But they thought about how do you synthesize a bunch of different ideas into something that really is unique. So right? what's the name of the book? The Wu-Tang? The Wu-Tang Manual. Okay. Yeah. City or the countryside? City. Winter or summer? Uh, summer, because I'm a skateboarder. Okay. Can't, can't do that in winter. That's fair. <laughs> Your favorite skateboarder? Favorite skateboarder is the Daewon Song, so okay. uh, fellow Korean. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Email or phone call? Email. I'm a... Uh, Okay. Um, I'm not not that old. <laughs> uh, chat or text? Chat. Favorite Wu Tang song? Favorite Wu Tang song? Oh, there's too many too. <laughs> oh, that's not fair either. <laughs> you know, actually, it's not even Wu Tang. It's not even a proper Wu Tang album. It's uh, the Jizza's uh, Liquid Swords album, but uh, Gold. He's okay. got a he's got a song. Gold. gold. And then <laughs> my last question: What's one word that you would like to use to describe your legacy? Hopefully, generosity. Okay. Yeah. Generosity. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I don't. None of us want to die rich, but we all have, hope to have left a legacy where uh, we've been able to do a lot of good and help a lot of people. So that's that's my hope. Doug Song, I say thank you for spending time with us on Access and Opportunity. Of course, God, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Alrighty. Thank you for listening to this episode of Access and Opportunity. We'll be back in two weeks with another exciting episode. Join us for the ride.